This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. The New York Mets are above 500. That is not a statement I ever thought I would make over the last two and a half months. I wasn't around for 1973 when the Mets were buried. They were dead in August. They were 12 games under 500, and they were lucky because the National League East was so lousy that year that the Mets had one big run to close August into September, and they won the National League East with 82 wins. I don't remember it. It's history to me. I'm not telling you the Mets are going to make the postseason. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is I am freaking stunned that we're sitting here right now, and it feels like the Mets are in a pennant race. This is an instant reaction, Evan Roberts' podcast, to the doubleheader sweep over the Miami Marlins. I was on the air uh, filling in for Mike with John Dostremski during Game 1, a game in which Jacob deGrom was Jacob deGrom. A little shaky early, settled in. The Mets beat the Marlins. They use Edwin Diaz with a four-run lead as I'm driving home. I didn't love it, and Diaz was shaky, and Callaway had Seth Lugo warming up numerous times, and Howie Rose made it very clear he was not using anybody in both ends of the doubleheader. So as Diaz is not only trying to avoid blowing this game, you're thinking to yourself, get the freaking out so Mickey doesn't use Seth Lugo. It's already difficult enough to win a game that Walker Lockett is starting. It becomes a little bit more challenging when you can't use Seth Lugo. And how awesome was Seth Lugo in game two? And how awesome has Seth Lugo been now for over a month? But this, and I know it's the Marlins, they suck, I get it, but this was different. The Mets score three runs in the bottom of the seventh inning. They take the lead, and I think we're all feeling the same way, which is they cannot, they cannot, they cannot, they cannot lose this game. And Seth Lugo faces six batters and retires all of them, and it looked as if he was getting more and more dominant as his outing went on. And I love that Callaway did that. Love it. Now, did he have a choice in the matter? I mean, he could have gone to Luis Avalon. He could have, I I guess, gone to Mazza, but you knew he wasn't going to use Edwin Diaz. You knew he wasn't going to use Justin Wilson. And so he had to do this, and I love it. Six outs from their best reliever, Seth Lugo. Now let's start from the beginning. What was eerily familiar about this game early is they had a chance to knock around Sandy Alcantara, a guy who dominated them a couple of months ago that complete game shutout when he threw when he throws 65 pitches it felt like they get the first four guys on base and I felt like eh, they only scored two runs could have been more Wilson Ramos flied out Luis Guillerme who somehow is on a major league team batting sixth more on that later 
popped up. Danny Echeverria hits the ball well to right field. He popped up, and I felt disappointed they were only able to get the two runs after getting the first four guys on base. And I think a big part of why I felt that way is what was about to happen. You can't expect that much out of Walker Lockett. Now, the good news is, barring any injury, knock on wood, we're not going to have to see Walker Lockett make a lot of starts. And considering he's Walker Lockett, he was not terrible. He got through the first inning. He got through the second inning. I thought the way he got through the third inning was very impressive after Brian Holiday got that leadoff double. He was gift-wrapped, the Alcantara bunch strikeout, but he gets through the top of the order to get through the third inning. And even the fourth inning, because the fourth inning looked like it was all going to come caving in on him because the Marlins are attacking every first pitch from Lockett. Anderson rips that double. Curtis Granderson ripped the line drive to center field for a base hit. Ramirez's base hit wasn't ripped, but he threw four pitches. And the Marlins had three base hits and a run in. Two on, nobody out, two to one game. And it just felt as if that fourth inning was going to be the end of him. And he got through it. He got Brinson a pop-up. He got the double play on Martin Prado, which was turned so smoothly between Ahmed Rosario and Luis Guillerme. I'll say this about Guillerme. He can't hit. Guy's got a good glove, and we know Ahmed Rosario looks like a different player. Even when Lockett gives up the home run to Brian Holiday, I'm thinking, all right, just get through the fifth inning, and I think we'd be all thrilled with this performance. And he came so close to getting through that fifth because I thought he had Brian Anderson struck out. He got him to hit that weak ground ball to shortstop, and Rosario couldn't come up with it clean. And this is why sometimes relievers' statistics can be so misleading. Bob Gazelman was bad Bob as he gives up that double to Curtis Granderson, which allowed the two runs to score, which gave the Marlins the 4-2 to two lead. And after that, Gazelman was fine. He got through the rest of the inning and actually pitched a 1-2-3 sixth inning. But that's why a reliever's stats can be so misleading. Inning in the third, no runs, one hit. Oh, he did great. Yeah, except he let the two inherited runners score when Curtis Granderson, who's at 180, ripped that two-run double. And the other thing that was very concerning as Miami took the lead was not only that they took the lead, but a few innings earlier, Jeff McNeil, of all people, goes out with what the Mets are calling cramps. And you see McNeil chasing, uh, I think it was the Anderson double, I think. I'm trying to remember. He was chasing some base hit. You know what? It was the Brian Holiday double. He's chasing it. Looks like his leg is in a little bit of pain or his hamstring's in pain. Luckily, the Mets say it's cramps, but here's what made things so difficult. You're already playing short a player. You only have four bench players. Now you're taking Jeff McNeil out. You've already lost Robinson Cano. Even though you replaced him on the roster, you replaced him on a roster with a minor league player and Luis Guillerme, and you're starting Aaron Altair in the outfield. So this was already to begin with a very weak batting order. For some reason, Todd Frazier is too frail to play both games of a doubleheader. And so the Mets had a lineup of six through nine of Guillerme, Echeverria, Altair, and the pitcher which is not intimidating anybody other than us as Met fans. But the McNeil injury was a scare. Doesn't sound like it's the end of the world, but at least for this baseball game, not only do you have that bottom of the order, but now Juan Lagares, who is just, uh, he is so awful at the plate. And what are he doing his two at-bats? at foul pop-ups? Uh, he is so lost. And I think he swung at ball four in his at-bat in the fifth inning. It felt like four to two was not going to be a lead this offense was going to be able to come back on. And then they started missing the opportunities. J.D. Davis comes into this game, luckily. Thank God he came into this game. 
He ripped the double, and they do nothing with it. Ligaris pops up, Rosario pops up, Conforto grounds out, and then what was worse was the sixth inning. Now let's get to the Garmay bunt. First, Alonzo gets a hit. Good to see. Ramos gets a hit on a ground ball that could have been a double play if Rojas comes up with it clean, but whatever. Two on, nobody out. Now here's the situation. Two on, nobody out. You're down by two. After Guillerme, you have a Danny Echeverria, who let's not forget is a 220 hitter, a pinch hitter, which is obviously going to be Todd Frazier and J.D. Davis. Here is why I'm going to surprise you and say I was cool with the bunt. I was. Now, normally I wouldn't be. Normally I'd say, why are you giving an out away? But the reason why I'm okay with it is Luis Guillerme is not a major league offensive player. So most of the time, I'd say, hey, let me try to get a base hit here. Worst comes to worst, maybe guy hits a weak ground ball to second, you advance the runners. Maybe it's a fly ball to right field, advances the runner from second. But don't just give an out away. I look at it this way. There was going to be an out no matter what. He's Luis Guillerme. I got a Denny Echeverria. If the bunt is successful, which it wasn't, obviously, he couldn't get it down. But if it is successful, I've got Echeverria, where good contact gets me a run home, and then I've got two hitters that I relatively trust, or let me put it this way, I trust a hell of a lot more than Luis Guillerme and Todd Frazier and J.D. Davis. The problem with the play was that he didn't execute it. That was my biggest issue. It wasn't laying down the bunt. And I don't think everything is created equal. First and second, nobody out down two, sixth inning is not created equal. You have to look at the situation. You have to look at who's up. You have to look at who's coming up. But the key to me here was who was coming up. Was there anything in this game today or anything we've ever seen from Luis Guillerme that made you think he was coming through with a hit? There's nothing. He popped up the third his first time up. He struck out meekly on three pitches in his second at-bat. And later on in the game, not that we could look back at it, but looking at it now, he also struck out on three pitches. So I didn't hate the bunt. I hated the execution of it. And then, obviously, Echeverry and Todd Frazier don't, don't come through. But here's where the game made me tingle. The three home runs in the seventh inning. It made us all tingle. Who's kidding who? J.D. Davis, who has been so good offensively. And don't worry, you don't have to say anymore, J.D. Davis needs to play every day. He does play every day. It's over. I don't know why he couldn't start this end of the doubleheader. Same with Todd Frazier. I'm not sure why the Mets have an off day Thursday, but Mickey's being conservative. But J.D. Davis is an everyday player. He is an everyday left fielder now, especially with the injury to Robinson Cano. And, of course, before that, the injury to Dom Smith. But he hits that bomb the opposite way. And then after Ligaris and Rosario do nothing, at least in my brain, I'm thinking, all right, I got seven outs to work with, down by a run. Uh, I feel... Eh, I don't feel great, but I don't feel terrible. And then Conforto hits just an absolute bomb, and he is really getting hot. He's so freaking streaky, but, man, when he's hot, he's hot. And he hits that bomb to tie it up, and I think at that point we're all believing, holy crap, they're going to win this game. And then Alonzo hits a home run, and I described this on Twitter. This reminded me in many ways of the Piazza home run that capped off the 10-run inning against the Braves. Line drive, barely gets out, right down the left field line, and then the huge reaction, not only from the crowd, but from the right-handed batter who hit it. Piazza back in, was it 1999 or 2000? I think it was 1999. Or maybe it was 2000. 
I don't know how I'm getting confused about that. One of those two magical playoff years. But the 10-run inning, which really was won by Edgardo Alfonso getting the two-run hit to tie it. But hey, Mike Piazza gets all the love here. And so it reminded me of that. And then Lugo did the job. And he did a hell of a job. And the Mets got lucky because that first at-bat in the eighth, Granderson hits a ball that's clearly foul. I don't know what Dan Iasania's looking like, but give Pete Alonso a lot of credit that he played it through. Lugo thought it was foul. He's not over there covering. Granderson thought it was foul. He stopped running. But Pete Alonso kept his head in the game, made the play, and that was a huge first out in the eighth inning. And then Lugo retired the next five. And the New York Mets sweep a doubleheader of the Miami Marlins. They are 57-56. and 56. And even with Robbie Cano out, and even with the fact that Brody Van Wagenen and Jeff Wilpon could not open up the wallet, what, what was it going to cost them, 800000 to get his Drupal Cabrera? I'm getting giddy. I'm starting to be really sucked in. And why not? I mean, they're in it. There's no more can they get in it. They're in it. They're right there. There's a lot, a lot of season left. They have a starting pitching staff that's starting to come into its own. Now, we know the schedule is going to get tougher. We, we understand that. They got the Nationals over the weekend. I don't know how good they are, but the bottom line is the Mets are going to have to beat them. And they are in it. And like I started, I don't remember 1973, but at the end of the day in 1973, despite being 12 games under 500 in August, the Mets were a win away from world championship. They beat the Big Red Machine in the playoffs, and they were right there to beating the A's dynasty. I'm not telling you all that's going to happen with the Mets, but what I am telling you is if there is any season that we can try to compare 2019 to, maybe it's 1973. And yes, I would sign for that at this point. Great win, great win, great day. The injuries are concerning, but holy crap, I'm starting to believe. We'll have a SummerSlam preview this week on the Evan Roberts podcast and a SummerSlam instant reaction right after it's over Sunday night. I'll be filling in all week with John Dostromsky from Mike. Thanks for listening to this instant reaction. The Mets are above 500, holy crap, edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.